Well, here at Cathedral, we are always so blessed. And today, I'm so honored and grateful to get to introduce to you our guest speaker, Dave Gibbons. It was over 15 years ago that I was invited to a church called New Song. And the title of that church and their mission was A Church for the Misfits. And the vision was reconciliation. I was single at that time. I went in. Uh, so moved and changed my life. And Vaughn, I didn't know him at that time. He was single too, and he was at another site. He was attracted there, and then I met him, and I was attracted to him. So <laughs> then we got married, and God used that church to prepare us to come here. And Dave Gibbons has such an, a powerful ministry that is beyond um, the walls of our local church there. He is an international speaker. He is a creative speaker, a consultant, an author. He advises executives, professionals, artists. He has a production company in Hollywood. He has a social prophet called Zealot, and he's an author of books on culture and leadership. This book that he has available back there is, is called Zealots, and it says, Define the Gravity of Normality. That is the Dave Gibbons that I know him and his family. He's been married for 34 years over, and he has four beautiful children. And I am so happy that he's here. And I would ask you if you would join me in giving him a cathedral of faith. Welcome. Put your hands together for Pastor Dave Gibbons. All right. Thanks, Annie. Please. Yeah, there's, they were some of our best, and uh, I'm still waiting for the trade. Uh, you know how you, when you send like a LeBron James, you should get five players back? So I'm still waiting for 10 from this church. But I'm really glad to be with you. This feels like family, and I want to share with you some family thoughts. I want to get really personal, but to go there, I want us to do a couple exercises with me, okay? So I want you to put your hands together. All right, which thumb is on top, your left or your right? How many of your left? How about your right? Okay, about half. Now, try the opposite. How's that feel? <laughs> kind of weird, right? Okay, try this. Fold your arms. Which hand's on top, right or left? How many right? Left? Okay, try the opposite of that. <laughs> Every time, it's like... Well, how do I do that? <laughs> yeah, because there's a natural way you do things without even thinking. You kind of did that without because thinking, like, how do I do? And then when you try the opposite, it's difficult. They say when you're in a, a baby in the womb, you probably had a way to comfort yourself. And if you did, you put your hands together just like you just did. It's very natural. What do you think is your natural design? When you think about who you are and you live in this world, what are you supposed to be? I think this is a question we're all asking. You can be 30, 40, 50, 60 and ask this question, man, what's my purpose? Why did God bring me on this earth? And I want to share that with you today because every one of you can walk out of here knowing for sure what you are called to do. Definitively. No doubt whatsoever. In the passage of scripture we're going to look at, we're going to talk about this idea of kingdom. Say the word kingdom with me. Kingdom. Whenever you hear this in church, it's a really religious term, the kingdom of God. It's a big, broad term. What in the world do we mean? Well, kingdom li literally could be defined the rule and reign of God. Say that with me. 
the rule and reign of God. And usually it's not so much about a place, it's about the spiritual aspect of God like being in our heart where he rules and reigns. Also, when we think of kingdom of God, usually we're thinking about heaven. But how about earth? When we pray a prayer, the Lord's Prayer, we say, Our Father, say it with me, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, interesting. Kingdom of God is not just heaven, earth. So theologians would say there's a future, you know, not yet and an already. Already and not yet. Present and future. So what, what are they talking about? Well, we can experience the kingdom of God right now. You can start to experience heaven right now. Are you feeling that? Okay, because it's not easy to kind of think with a heavenly mind. It's really hard, especially when you're dealing with lots of stresses and lots of issues and trying to figure out why you're here. But in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, he establishes with first priority what our design is supposed to all be about. He lays it out so we don't forget it. It's in the introduction. So if you have your Bibles, look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. It says this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, including your children, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So Holy Spirit, open our minds. Open our hearts. May we all feel right now the very presence of your kingdom. And then just more than the kingdom, we want to experience the king. With all his might, with all his authority, with all his strength, with all his energy, we want to feel that today. So make us alive in that power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let us. You look at that and you go, what? Let us. Do you even pause when you read that? You should. Because in the Hebrew, this is the plural form of God. We know that God, we don't have many gods, but we do have a trinity. We have God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. They're different persons, but they are considered one. So some theologians say this is the proof that the trinity exists from this passage. That's one way to interpret it. But there's another way that's very common with translators, not to see this as simply the idea of the Trinity, but maybe the power of God. So whenever God would be emphasized, it wouldn't just be in the singular. Sometimes they say plural because they want to emphasize the strength of God. So you could read it this way. Let us, with all our infinite power, make male and female human beings. This is huge because you weren't made in a wimpy way. You weren't made in a haphazard way. You were made with a force of the universe coming from God. That's in you. 
Imagine that, that God used all his strength, all his might in the Trinity to make us, let us. So he starts with power, and that's important because power is a key factor wherever you are in the world. Whenever you're dealing with systemic injustice or struggles, it's usually an issue of power. If there's corruption of power, usually nations are going to fail and have struggles. But when there's good power, man, it can thrive and flourish. Let us, he said. With good strength and good power, he made us. Now, how did he make us? The second concept. In the image of God. Say image of God with me. Image of God. Now, what's that? When you think being made in the image of God, usually you're thinking in terms of physical characteristics, but God can't actually be described simply in the physical. You know, he was in the form of Jesus, but he's beyond Jesus, right? And so when he's talking about the image of God, we would note that it's probably not just physical, it's more than that. It's actually in regard to what? His spirit, his character. His energy, his power, you are made with that. So you know how you could translate that? It's like, let us make man in our spirit, power, energy. And may he feel the perfection of us in his veins. Let that rest for a second. Perfection's running through your blood right now. The divine has been connected to you. You're not simply human. You are superhuman. That should get you pumped. When you think about this, you know, uh, you know, when you think about being made in someone's image, like when I talk to people who believe in reincarnation, have you ever noticed how they always show how they're aligned to someone famous down the road? It's not like some loser. They always bring out, you know, it's like, hey, I was connected in my previous life. I was this person. Um, then if you think about also other people when it comes to if you do your DNA test and you find out, like, who you're linked to. We're really proud of the fact, like, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm linked to, you know, Muhammad Ali or I'm linked to uh, President Obama or Martin Luther King Jr., man. We would be proud of that fact. In fact, we want everybody to know. And it kind of would make you feel courageous knowing that you're in the lineage of Martin Luther King Jr. Well, you're in the lineage of Jesus. I'm like, come on, do we get excited about the fact that you may be aligned to some human and you're aligned to Jesus? Come on. You are made in his image. You're like him. This image is a very important word when you, you look at this um, because it has this ramifications of this historical perspective. Because when a king would take over a large expanse of land, he could not physically be everywhere all the time. It's just too big of, big of a land. So what they would do is they would set up sculptures, images of himself in the lands where he could not be, and that sculpture would represent his power and his authority. Uh-oh. Whenever you walk, wherever you go, you represent his power and authority. So why are you walking into these environments in the marketplace or in business or in your work or in homes thinking you're a loser? When literally you're walking with his transcendent divine power 
And if you had spiritual x-ray glasses on, it's like when you take a, a step, lightning bolts are striking from your feet. Demons are running away. You're made in his likeness. You represent his power. Literally, not only you're representing, it's literally in you. Let us make man in our likeness, in our power, spirit, authority. May they feel the perfection that comes from our unity in their blood. I look at that and say, God, I want to live like that. But how come we have trouble? How come we have trouble thinking of ourselves that way, like we're sons of the king? Because we have crazy people in our lives. <laughs> Anybody have a crazy person in their life? Are you crazy yourself? Yes. Okay, yeah, probably a couple of us here. Uh, I had a crazy mom. Anybody have a crazy mom? <laughs> Yeah, a lot of us are crazy moms. Okay, my mom was an immigrant mom, right, from Korea. She was five foot tall, married an American soldier in the Air Force. And, you know, they got together. They had me out there and brought our siblings out to America. My mom was, like, very courageous. Like, she was unusual. Because you know how when you're an immigrant first generation, it's, it's tough to feel, like, courageous when you're not maybe comfortable with language and the culture of the new land. My mom, she didn't care. She'd just be herself everywhere she'd go. She became very popular in Arizona because, you know, she was a hairstylist. The Phoenix Suns basketball players' wives would come. The governor of wives of Arizona would come. She was just, like, free and fun. And she was so free and fun that we go to the malls in Arizona, and, you know, we walk as a family together. And that was kind of unusual because, you know, it was the 1970s. We were probably the first five Asians in the whole state. <laughs> <laughs> So it was kind of like weird, but you know, here's a picture of my mom, by the way. You can see a picture of her. There's my mama. Yeah. So my mom was just like filled with life. She, you know, she walks in the room, she's that type of person that lights up. And so my mom, we would walk with her in the mall, you know, trying to blend into the culture because we didn't want to stand out. But mom, she didn't care. She'd start laughing sometimes. She laughed so hard, she'd fall in the middle of the floor in the mall, and she would start shaking on the floor. And we'd say, Mom, what are you doing? So immediately all the kids, we would scatter, <laughs> acting like we don't know who that woman is, but we're the only Asians in Arizona. <laughs> they probably knew we are a family. My mom would take us into places like Macy's, and we'd go shopping, and she'd get clothes for me, and I was kind of chubby at the time, and she'd take me to the Husky boy section. You guys remember that, some of you? It's basically saying, hey, the fat boys go over here. I mean, you're already embarrassed about being big, and now everybody knows you're big. You're affirming that you're big. And so they would take us over there. We hang out, and my mom said, you want these pants? I said, yeah, I love those pants. And she goes, okay. She called the salesman over. Hey, sir, come here, come here. How much are these pants? And he'd go, oh, it's like 30 bucks. My mom would go, okay. I give you 20 I said, Mom, you can't do this, man. It's not Korea. What are you doing? You're seriously embarrassing us. And then we go to the place that you go after church, you know, the most economical place to take the Gibbons boys because I was a football player. My, my brother was, you know, a, a, a 
weightlifter. We go eat like, you know, seriously a long time. So we go to all-you-can-eat buffet. We stay there for three hours. <laughs> three hours of pure joy. I mean, pure joy. I'm a buffet expert, man. You just talk to me. Seriously, don't waste your time on those salads up front. You wait for that prime rib at the end. <laughs> anyway, so I, I'm, I, we chow down. We, we're sitting back, just enjoying rubbing our stomachs, unbutton that top button, let the roll hang out. And we're just going, whoa, this is so good. And my mom's happy. I know my dad's happy because we're full. And then it, while everybody's looking at our stacks of plates, my mom would quietly go back to the buffet line. And we go, what's she doing? Okay, and then she gets that plate and she piles on fried chicken on top. I mean, she piles it high. And everybody's going, whoa, what's she doing? And she comes back to the table, and we're looking at her, going, Mom, what are you doing? And she acts like we're not there. Do you have a mom like that? <laughs> you're talking to them. They're acting like you're not there, like you don't exist. <laughs> they're paying attention to you. And she's acting like no one else is there. And then all of a sudden, we're shocked. She takes a napkin, unfolds it on her lap, <laughs> and she starts putting the fried chicken on the napkin. Yeah, and then she starts folding over and stuffs it in her purse. We say, Mom, what are you doing? It says, don't take the chicken home. You are embarrassing us. And then we go home and we eat the chicken. <laughs> Crazy people in our lives. But, you know, we laugh about it. But there are also sometimes the crazy is actually not good. Right? There's crazy stuff that happens in our families that really can knock us out. So my, that same mom, um, my mama, she, she locked herself up in a car one time and started taking the knife and ripping it, uh, the, the, the seats apart. And I took her out. I said, hey, you know, well, she eventually came out when the police cars came, and she was sobbing in the car. And I said, hey, what's wrong, ma? She said, your dad had an affair. And my mom was never the same again. She went from 120 to 90 pounds. You know, the American Air Force soldier who was like a hero in Korea, suddenly, man, she's thrashed. She never recovered. Eventually, she was killed in a hit-and-run accident um, four years later by a drunk driver. And so crazy stuff happened. I say this because when you go through stuff like that, where you have these really great, wonderful times, you know, with crazy people, and then you have crazy people do some really hard stuff too and stuff you didn't plan. And maybe you're even the one that caused it. You start to look at yourself in the mirror and go, who am I? I'm a screw, screw up. I'm a child of parents who messed it up and it's kind of my curse now. And they did it. Their parents did it. And then we kind of relegate ourselves to just kind of with our heads down, acting like we have nothing. We forgot Genesis 1. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, with our unity, our power, our force. And what's so beautiful about this is God redeems dirt. He redeems the dirt. And he formulates a living human being. And he lets his glory shine through us. He lets people look at us so that when we walk the earth, they go, God, God. They see God through us. 
This word rule and reign, he says, hey, and let these men rule and reign over the scurry things and the animals, the wild things. Let them be fruitful and multiply. This tells us our purpose. When you look at this word rule and reign, when he says, hey, I want you to rule and reign, this is not the idea of a person who's placed in a a position of power to be violent or aggressive and suppress people. It's not a dictator. The the picture of you reigning over the earth and over all the things that's around us is really of one who's responsible. She or he's a good steward. In other words, it's like a servant king. And a good servant king is willing to die for his people. And that is Jesus. So today you walked in, maybe you're all bummed out. Hey, I don't know what job I'm supposed to do. You know, I had these different jobs. I'm not really happy. Well, maybe it's not about your job. Because jobs are, and your occupations are like people pieces of clothing, they can change with times. Seriously, like 10 years ago, they didn't have some of the best jobs we have today. You can now get paid for playing video games. You can get paid for playing football. You see, some of these jobs, they shift. So why are we so focused on the job? Maybe it's about how we do our job. You see, how you do your job is with the presence of God So no no matter what I'm doing, I'm having life and power and authority, and I'm loving people, I'm joyful, and that work then becomes divine work. So even menial tasks can have purpose and meaning in how I work. You think Jesus, when he's up in heaven, he's thinking about the jobs on, on the planet Earth at that time, thinking, okay, what job, what job's the best job I could do? Oh, yeah. Carpentry. I don't think it was about carpentry itself. Because we know that he was also a fisherman. He was a winemaker. He was a bread maker. He was a physician. He was a teacher. You see, but we do know what he saw himself as. He says, I've come not to be served, but to serve. Servant king! You see, that's your purpose. You're flowing around the earth. Whatever job you now have, don't, mess, you know, don't get yourself messed up about it. You're in that job right now. So while you're there, be a servant king. You go, well, what do I do, man? What am I supposed to do as a servant king? Because I hear this, like I'm supposed to be a servant. Well, he lays it out. He says, flourish. He says, be fruitful and multiply. What is that? Well, we all have translated this typically as like, have lots of children. And that's a good idea. That's a good thing. Yeah, that's part of it, procreation. Have lots of kids. But it has a broader meaning than just that. With this idea of being fruitful and multiply could also be translated, be, be flourishing. And live a life of abundance. Wow. Be, live a life of blessing. And be a blessing. In fact, he reemphasizes that in Genesis chapter 12. He says, I blessed you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. So what does that mean? Because when someone sneezes, we say, God, but what do we mean? Okay, I'm going to tell you what serving looks like in the real world. It's these four things. Stay with me. It's when you see a person. When you see a person, you start blessing them. Because right now, we're really distracted. So when you can actually see a person and notice them, 
That's different. That means you may care. You're paying attention. Blessings when you see a person. Second, when you study this in the Bible, is when you know them. You know their story. So get to know a person's story when you're with them. Say, hey, I don't know you. Because literally I meet husbands and wives that have been together for 20 and 30 years, and they've never shared their whole story. Of all their ups and downs, of the key people in their life, the key places, they've never shared that. How about blessing someone by listening to their story? See, know, and then thirdly, affirm the beauty that you see in them. Like as God shows you who they are, call that out. Say, do you realize how amazing this is about you? I mean, imagine you doing that to people. You're going to start standing out. You're reflecting the love of God, the presence of God in the workplace. And then the fourth part of blessings, when you give access to your resources, it's generosity. So as God leads you, you bless people by being generous to them. What can you give to them that maybe they need? Say this with me. See, know, affirm, give. One more time. See, know, Affirm, give. That's blessing a person. And I know what you're saying, Dave, there's so many people, you know, wow, there's a lot of people that do this. How do I figure this out? You know how you do it? John 5. Jesus only did what he saw his father doing. I'm going to change your life this morning through Jesus Christ by giving you another picture of how you can listen to the voice of God. How many of you hear the voice of God? Okay, how many of you hear it every day? Okay, a few. Some of you, you're honest. You don't hear it all the time. And maybe it's rare. And sometimes you look at yourself going, man, I suck. I'm really like, I don't, I'm not this type of Christian that really is like so spiritual. Because you're trying to hear his voice. You know what I found? Is that maybe a lot of people don't hear his voice, but they see his voice. Creative people, intuitive people, it's not so much about words, it's about visuals. Is that biblical? I think it is. Because if you look at Romans chapter 1, it says if you look at the general revelation of God and look at the world itself, creation, you can tell there's a God. So nature speaks as you look at the activity of nature and the beauty of it, of God. Right? That's the Bible. Nehemiah, when he walked through the city... They had a sound in the ground. It started speaking to him. He saw all the destruction, and he got the vision. He was supposed to rebuild the city. In Joel chapter 2, he says, you're going to have visions and dreams in the last days. Visual. And then in John 5, Jesus only did what he saw his father doing. Not say. And that's interesting to me because if you type back to Genesis 1, and you look at the image of God uh, and you think about the historical referencing of a king putting an image of himself in a land. Does that sculpture speak? It represents by its very presence. Whoa. You're opening up a whole new vision of this. If this is going to help you spiritually, because when you're going to start looking around you, you know what you're going to find out? God's constantly speaking to you through the visual. You know what I think is the primary way he's going to speak to us through the visual? People. People. People are made in the image of God. So if people are made in the image of God, then I need to hang out with people. Because I'll see his image in people. 
So that's why he says, hey, you're supposed to hang out with one another. And when you talk to the socialist, or sociologists of the day and you study uh, psychology, what you're finding is that the greatest cause of human sickness today and toxicity with stress and all the problems we're dealing with, they say the number one problem is human connectedness. We're not hanging out with each other. You see, when Jesus said, and, and God the Father and the Spirit said, let us, he was reflecting their unity that's within them. And then what happens is when we come together, we start to see the beauty of God, and we get close to God. But what's going to happen is in your life, you're going to start wanting to be by yourself a lot. And that's normal. You're going to build your own Babel, like in Genesis. They start to say, let's just come together and build a big old fortress. But God says, no, no, you're supposed to go out, but go out in tribes. And go out in community. Be together. And you'll see me. When you start living this way, everything changes. So what's your purpose? Well, you're supposed to live like him. How do you live like him? Well, be, be fruitful, multiply, start blessing people. See, know, affirm, and give. Okay, so I'm learning this stuff myself. Okay, so I'm not like a veteran. So I'm, I'm with you, okay? Um, but in the last 10 years, there's been some really great things happening to me. My children have led the way. And you can learn a lot from your kids. My kids are experiencing the Holy Spirit. And we don't come from that background where we believe in the Holy Spirit, but we would just write about it. <laughs> I'd write about it. I went to seminary and wrote long papers about the Holy Spirit, exegeted the passage on the Holy Spirit, but I didn't experience it. And then I heard people say they heard the voice of God. I never heard it. I didn't know about seeing God either. Right? That wasn't really emphasized because we're so word-centric in our culture. So my kids, my son experienced a resurrection from the dead where he saw someone that was dead in Nepal and he prayed for them and everybody said he had died of toxic alcohol syndrome and when he prayed, the man bolted up and looked at my son right in the eyes and started speaking in 10 different languages. They said he became so strong the whole team had to hold him down and for an hour they were casting out demons. And then my, my daughter, she had this unique experience with the Holy Spirit so I knew it was legit but I was saying, God, I'm... I want to experience this, not just like in Nepal or in Hawaii, but how about right here in California? So what happened is I started opening myself up to helping, asking God to show me what he's doing visually. And do you know in the Bible it says let everybody prophesy? I think that means that we all have the potential muscle within us to prophesy. It's a muscle maybe you're not using. It's kind of not there. But if you use it, it can really be powerful. Prophesying is what? I don't think it's just predictive in nature about the future. I think prophesying could be translated seeing what God sees and then share what he would share with a person. See what he sees, share what he would share. And then when you look at, I think it's 1 Corinthians 14, he defines prophesying. He says it's when you encourage someone. You can exhort someone. We can all do that. We can all encourage, you know, see what God sees. So God, what do you see in that person? Help me to share now what you see. It's positive, not discouraging. It's encouraging. So I said, okay, God, I want to do that. And I started praying, and God started showing me things just slowly. So about seven years ago, I had been invited to go to New York by this wealthy guy. He, I was consulting him every month, flying there. He'd fly me in really nicely, and then he'd have a limo come by my house on Monday. So when I, this limo came on Monday, I, you know, I was very excited because, you know, for me as a pastor, I was speaking every Sunday, and there's a lot of people, and I'm an introvert. So I look forward to my time alone. And so, you know, I, I was happy. I, I got into the limo. I put my headset on, and I go into my zone. 
And you know how when you go into your zone, if you're an introvert, you know what I'm talking about. You know how to put up a force field. You know, where people around you, they know by your, your body action, don't bother me. I'm really focused right now, and I don't want to talk to you. So I can give and emit those vibes. I know how to do that. So I'm going into my zone so I don't have to talk to the driver. But all of a sudden, I felt I heard God's voice. He said, Dave, talk to your driver. I said, God, no. <laughs> I said, uh, come on, Lord, you know, I'm, it's me time. Uh, you know, my favorite small group is me, myself, and I. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, he goes, come on, Dave, talk to him. I said, all right. So I said, hey, bro, what's your name? And he was like a 50-year-old man with a nice suit on, uh, little Arabic. And he said, my name is Muhammad. And in my spirit, I go, oh, no. Because <laughs> I had a bad stereotype of Muslims. And his sense totally changed. I love Muslims. But at that time, I go, oh, no. And then I said, okay, what do you want me to say, God? And then I, I, I felt, okay, if you want me to talk to him, I'm going to be very direct. So I said, hey, Muhammad, what do you think about Jesus? And he goes, oh, he was a, not a very smart man, but a good man. Muhammad, he was, not, you know, smart man, but not very good. And then he just laughed. And then we laughed a little bit. But I'm an introvert. I have a hard time thinking of conversational points when I'm with people sometimes. It's awkward for me. So I, I didn't know what else to say. So I said, God, what do you want me to say? And then I saw a picture of his brain. I go, okay. Muhammad, you must be really intelligent. My guess is you probably got like a master's degree in finance uh, from a university where you're from. And he looked in the rearview mirror and said, how do you know? Who told you? <laughs> I got a master's degree in finance at the University of Iran. I said, oh, okay. And again, I didn't know what to say. So I said, God. Help me out. And then suddenly I saw a picture of a large woman, but I didn't know how to share with him. <laughs> so what am I going to say? So I said, man, I just got to be honest. So I go, Muhammad, is there a big woman in your life? <laughs> and he just started laughing. But then he goes, well, yeah. And she's causing me lots of trouble. How do you know these things? I go, well, listen, I'm an introvert. I really didn't want to talk to you, to be honest. Um, but I think God wanted you to know how much he knows you and he loves you. Then he went silent the rest of 45 minutes. And actually, that didn't bother me because I'm an introvert. <laughs> so I loved it. And he went silent. About five minutes before we got to the terminal, he looked in the rearview mirror and said, sir, I think I'm about to cry. I go, hey, Muhammad, I, I think that's the Holy Spirit. And he wants you to know that he really loves you. And you can say yes to him and experience him today. Because I know how Muslims are where you're very logical. But you can actually experience God. Would you like to try it out? He goes, yes, I would. I go, okay, well, pray with me, but say these words. And keep your eyes open. <laughs> He's driving. So he prayed the sweetest prayer ever. And I felt, have you ever heard of the weight of God's glory? I didn't know what it meant exactly, but in that moment, I think I knew. It's like you feel the presence of God just fall, and it feels like it's all around you. It's like a, a good heavy, like someone leaning into you. And so he said that, and he, he pulled up his car 
along the terminal to drop me off, and he looked in the rearview mirror and said, Sir, something happened to my body. I have chills over my body right now. I said, oh, that's, that's Jesus. Yeah, Holy Spirit now is in you. He'll never leave you. He went outside the car, and on the way around, he looked at me and said, uh, or, or I thought God said to me, um, Dave, give him everything in your wallet. And I said, no. <laughs> I said, Lord, you know, I just went to the ATM. Uh, come on, Lord. I got all these people to tip in New York. I got a wad of cash. I said, no. And God said, well, I know you're debating in your mind whether this is me or not, but you need to learn how to give everything away. So as soon as he came to the door, he opened it up. I took out my wad of cash. God told me to give you this, man. <laughs> I wasn't happy. He ran away from me like I had some type of disease. He got on the other side of the car and he said this, Sir, I can't take your money, for you have given me something better than money. You know how fun it is when you know you're made in his image? That you're carrying the force of God in your blood? Yeah, there's brokenness going on. We're still in human form. We're not fully perfected yet. But there's percolations of the holiness, the goodness of God rising up in you right now. He's healing you of your diseases. He's healing you of stresses. He's making you new. He's perfecting you. I want to release this in you as you leave today. Would you stand? I want to pray that God would just release you into the glory of his presence, that you would feel the glory of God in you, that he wash away the stresses. You need to pray these cleansing prayers once in a while. Just ask God to wash it off, and he'll wash it inside and out. So receive this. Hold your hands out. Holy Spirit, wash us inside and out of any lies, curses for myself or other people. Let your courage rise up in me. May I feel your power in every cell of my body. Help me not only to hear you, but see you. And then when I look at myself, may I see your resemblance in me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Let's say thanks today for that powerful word of God working in us. Wow.